Well, we're in a new year, and it just so happens that we're starting a new book in the Bible. So turn with me to the book of 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy, it's on page 1409, if you're using one of the Bibles that we have for you in the back of the seat in front of you. I marvel at God's leading us. You know, um, we as pastors had our reasons for choosing. Uh, we prayerfully talked and we, we prayed and thought and about what book of the Bible should we go through next. We went through Mark recently, so what's next? And uh, we had our reasons for picking First Timothy. One, we had several. One was that... Um, as we thought about issues that needed to be taught on, uh, one issue was the issue of church-wide prayer. And that's talked about in First Timothy. Another issue that we're looking forward to spending some time on this year is the issue of um, biblical manhood and womanhood. The whole issue of gender and, and our, our culture's a little bit, um, a little... A little askew on that. Well, maybe it's more than a little. And uh, we need to we need to think afresh on from the scriptures. What does God say about manhood? What does God say about womanhood? Womanhood, and that's that issue is raised in First Timothy. So we had several reasons, but but um, as I have begun to study this book, um, I've had a growing sense of uh, excitement, and I see a continuum that I hadn't seen even as we had prayerfully picked this book. You remember back to Colossians? It wasn't that far ago. But you remember in the book of Colossians, one of the great themes there was the preeminence of Jesus Christ in the Christian life. And so when we got to the end of Colossians, and it had, it had, it had pointed us to, to Jesus Christ as, as, the, as the real one around which the Christian life is built, there was a sense that, okay, now, if, 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 the, if he's the preeminent one, then let's, let's look at him. And so we chose one of the books, of the, one of the Gospels, and we looked in Mark. And so in Mark, we looked at Christ over and over again. But one of the other themes that was running through Mark was not just who is Jesus Christ, but our response to him. What, are, what is our response to this Christ supposed to be? And we saw in Mark that there needs to be a response of faith. Above all, or to begin all, there's a response of faith to Christ. Well, as I've begun to study First Timothy, it was excited me to see that one of the themes in the book of First Timothy is faith. One of the uh, ways you can describe the book of First Timothy is that it's instructing us on how we ought to respond to this one who is named Jesus Christ. And so I see a great continuum, and it was planned by God, not me, from Colossians to Mark to First Timothy. Jesus is the center of the Christian life, and we need to respond to him in the right way individually and as a group of believers that's what first timothy is all about now if you're there look at the first two verses i want to read them and think on them this morning it says paul an apostle of christ jesus 
according to the commandment of God, our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, who is our hope. To Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the greeting, the way the book starts. Paul mentions himself as the one who's written it. Paul, he says, an apostle of Christ Jesus. Paul, as we know, is one of the primary apostles there. And we read the story through the book of Acts of his conversion and then how God used him. He was one of that inner circle of apostles. Um, The word apostle is used in a little bit broader sense as those who are sent out with the gospel, but there's a narrow sense too, a sense in which it can't be repeated in history. And Paul's in that, in that circle. And he's writing, it says in verse 2, to Timothy. He calls him my true child in the faith. As far as we can tell, Paul was instrumental in Timothy's conversion. And he groomed him. And now, and God had called him to... to um, to minister, to be a pastor, and Paul had helped him. And so now Timothy is staying behind in a place called Ephesus, and he's pastoring the church. He's trying to lead the people of God in that place, and Paul is writing letters to him to help him, to help him lead the people. Paul and Timothy. And yet, as I read these two verses, just the greeting, that's all we're going to look at this morning. You know, this greeting is really not about Paul. And it's not really about Timothy. It's about our Lord, Jesus Christ. And I want to see here and show you here four characteristics of this one named Jesus Christ. Of this one to whom we are to respond. We've seen him through the Gospels. Paul, in his letter to Timothy, is going to show us now how to respond to him. But who is he? I want us to see four characteristics of Jesus Christ. Number one, he is the giver of commands. You notice there in verse one, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, according to the commandment of God, our Savior and of Christ Jesus, who is our hope. Paul's apostleship came from Jesus. Do you see that? It says, God, our Savior, and of Christ Jesus. His apostleship came from Christ. But his apostleship was commanded. Do you notice the way Paul says this? Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, according to the commandment. Jesus Christ commanded Paul. And made him by his command to be an apostle. It was not offered by Jesus as an option. It was not uh, given to him as an addition to his other plans. Jesus altered Paul's entire life with one command. He made him an apostle. And just to refresh our memory, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. What was an apostle's life like? It's on page 1359 in your Bible, but not in mine, so I'm trying to find it. First, uh, First Corinthians chapter 4, 
Beginning at verse 8. <clears throat> He's speaking to the Christians in Corinth, Paul is. And he says, you, you are already filled. You have already become rich. You have become kings without us. And indeed, I wish that you had become kings so that we might also reign with you. For I think God has exhibited us apostles last of all as men condemned to death because we have become a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are prudent in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are distinguished, but we are without honor. To this present hour, we are both hungry and thirsty and are poorly clothed and are roughly treated and are homeless. And we toil, working with our own hands. When we are reviled, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure. When we are slandered, we try to conciliate. We have become as the scum of the world, the dregs of all things, even until now. Wow, isn't it great to be an apostle? <laughs> and, oh, there were many ups also, but he's showing us the downs. And Jesus commanded Paul, you're going to be an apostle. Not only does this show that Jesus has the authority to do it, but it shows that Jesus uses that authority. You know, he has a will for your life. You must seek that will and obey that will. For God's will for you and his, his will for me is a command. It's not an option. Is that your mentality? Uh, is that what church is for you? What Christianity is for you? Is, is maybe this Christianity thing just an option or an add-on in your life? You got your other plans and you just kind of add Jesus into it? Maybe so. Have you, have you ever shopped for a car and you've gone to the, to the lot and you look at the cars and you look at the sticker in the side of the window? Actually, it's interesting. These days, you don't actually have to go there. You can do it all on the Internet. It's great. You think about what kind of car you want. I want a whatever kind and whatever brand. And you go on there and, and then uh, it says there's a little click in there. I know all this because my car died recently. Uh, or one of them. He says, build your own car. He says, just click on there and you start. You know, they give you the, they give you the main deal and then say, you know, do you want a sunroof? Yes or no? Click. Do you want, uh, uh, you know, you, there's a whole list of add-ons. You can have the, the best stereo system that you can find. Click. You can have up to 79 cup holders. Click. <laughs> Especially in the minivans. Man, you have as many cup holders as you want. Click, 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 click. But you know one thing that's not on the add-on list? It's the engine. You know, I haven't seen that yet. You can have this car. You can have it blue, green, purple. You can have an engine or not have an engine. No, it's not on there. You've got to have the engine. It's there. You know, some people treat Jesus Christ as he's, a, he's one of the add-on list. You can have him or you cannot have him. You can, you can be a part of the body of Christ and fit in and live the way God wants you to live, or you cannot. But that's not what Jesus is. That's not who he is. He's the giver of commands. Are you responding to Jesus Christ 
in that way, realizing who he is, that he's the giver of, of commands. You'll never know the richness of his will for your life until you receive his commands and obey them. You can't know the richness of the blessing that Jesus has for your life if you don't if you don't walk with him in that way and say you give the commands and I obey you're not an add-on you're everything he's the giver of commands well secondly he's the foundation of hope look again at verse 1 Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus according to the commandment of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus, I love this, who is our hope, who is our hope. Hope is mentioned and talked about in four of the six chapters of Timothy. Hope. William Hendrickson defines Christian hope as this. He said, hope is our earnest yearning, our confident expectation, And our patient waiting for the manifestation of salvation in all its fullness. I love that. It's right. You see, we who have come to faith in Jesus Christ, we who have been born again, we who have entered into a relationship, a living relationship with the living Christ, we've tasted salvation. We have it in one sense, and yet there's more of it yet to come. Amen? Amen. And we're moving towards it. There is a thing called heaven. There is an existence where our sin is then gone completely. And so is everybody else's. And we live in an experience there of the fullness of our salvation. But we're not there yet. And it's not here yet. And so we have, it says, an earnest yearning. We, we, we long for Do you have that hope? We long for that. We want it. And we have a confident expectation. This isn't just a hope like I hoped a certain football team won their bowl game yesterday or the day before. You, you kind of hope for it, but you're not really sure if it's going to happen. No, no, no. The Christian hope is there's a confident expectation and then a patient waiting. A patient waiting through the difficulties of life. We're hoping confidently for that which is to come. And why do we have this hope? We have this hope because of Jesus Christ. I want to read this little passage from Titus that mixes together hope and Jesus. Listen to this. It's in Titus 2 verse 11 and through 14. For the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed And to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. Man, that's packed. He's saying we have a hope and we're looking for this hope. 
But the hope is wrapped up in one who is named Jesus Christ. And why? It says, because Jesus gave himself for us to redeem us out of every lawless deed. He came to redeem us, to to buy us out of the predicament we were in. We We were underneath the condemnation of sin. We had broken God's law. We've sinned against him. And God's justice demands that a penalty fall on us. But we can't, we can't handle that penalty. If that penalty for sin that's just and right falls on me for my sin, that's called hell. I will suffer hell forever because that's the just penalty for me affronting the holy God, my creator. But Jesus Christ, it says, redeemed us. He came in over top of us and he says now I'll take the penalty I'll pay it and he suffers the penalty for sin that you and I deserved amen and he takes it away he redeems us from our lawless deeds and then it says he gave himself not only for that but also to purify for himself a people see he it's Jesus that that ransoms us from sin that gets the penalty of sin off of us and it's jesus that that cleans us up amen it's jesus that changes us and makes us more and more the way we're supposed to be transforms us he gave himself to redeem us he gave himself to purify us he's coming again in glory and then all of our salvation and experience will be complete Jesus, it says in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1, Jesus, who is our hope. It doesn't say Jesus who gives us hope or Jesus who makes hope possible or Jesus who teaches us about hope. No, it says Jesus who is our hope. If your hope is not in Jesus Christ, let me ask you a question. What is it in? What is it in? Hope for forgiveness before God, for a transformed life, for an experience of heaven. If your hope is not in Jesus Christ, what is it in? When you think about that, of actual forgiveness before God, Actual experience with God now where he, he, he gradually changes us to make us into the people he wants us to be. An eventual experience of him in all fullness. That's what we want. And then you realize how, how silly it is that anyone would put their hope in, for example, money. <laughs> what is money going to do for that? How is money going to get you that? Forgiveness, transformed life, unhindered experience with God in the future. Money? Or relationships with people. People can't do that. I can't put my hope in people. Or how about even yourself? Your own self. We walk through life depending on ourselves. But friend, you know. You know down deep, you know down quiet inside of you 
that you cannot gain forgiveness and a transformed life and an unhindered experience with God. You can't do that. But Jesus Christ can. He is our hope. Third, he is the dispenser of blessing. Listen, look at verse 2. To Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, Jesus is the dispenser of blessings. We'll look at them, those three, in, in reverse order. Peace. We've talked about peace over Christmas time because of what the angels proclaimed when Jesus was born. Peace on earth. Peace. Remember? Shalom is a Hebrew word. It means so much more than just an absence of conflict. It means that, but it also means a wholeness, a completeness, a fulfillment internally. Peace. Jesus dispenses that. Mercy. Mercy is when I don't get what I do deserve. Someone said it that way. And grace is when I get what I don't deserve. Mercy. I don't... I, I don't know. It's one of you. I forget who it is. I s- said to you the other day, how you doing? And he said, better than I deserve. I think we can say that every day of our lives. Amen. No matter how tough it gets. That's, that's mercy and grace together. I don't get what I do deserve and I get more than what I do deserve. Forgiveness and strength. Jesus Christ gives peace and mercy and grace. You know, sometimes we interpret his authority wrongly. You know, we've begun by saying he's the giver of commands. He's the one of supreme authority. Often inside of our minds and our hearts, we have trouble trying to take that concept of Jesus Christ and put it together with him being the dispenser of blessings. He wants to bless our life. We, we, we feel like the one who has authority and who directs sometimes is the one. It isn't the one that is nice. The one that wants good for us. Authority and blessing sometimes don't seem like they go together in the same person. But the Bible says that that is true. And that's the way God is. Look with me. I could have turned it in so many places, but look at Psalm 103. Psalm 103. It's on page 726. And look how the scripture puts together the great authority of God, but also his heart to bless. He is a God of all authority, but he's a God who is inclined. His very nature is to bless us. It says in verse 1, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits, who pardons all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion, who satisfies your years with good things, so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. The Lord performs righteous deeds and judgments for all those who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the sons of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, 
slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he himself knows our frame. He is mindful that we are but dust. You see, God's very nature is to bless. And yet he is the sovereign one. Skip ahead to verse 19. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his sovereignty rules over all. Bless the Lord, you his angels, mighty in strength who perform his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all you hosts, you who serve him doing his will. You see, he is the great sovereign one who gives commands that must be obeyed. And yet he is also the dispenser of blessing. It is his very nature to be compassionate and understanding and blessing his people. Sometimes we have trouble believing that God wants to bless us. And with some, not with all, but with some, it could be because of your own father. Your own father, perhaps, for some people. You know, all of our fathers have flaws. All of them. Even my kids. You know, when you're a father, you want a little more mercy on fathers. We all have weaknesses and, and we're all, none of us are perfect. Some fathers, though, are, 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 um, are bad. They're just not good. They're harsh, unforgiving, perhaps, abusive even. And when a person grows up in a home where a father, their own father, is not a dispenser of blessing. Their own father is, is rough and wrong. It's hard sometimes then for that little child as he or she grows up. And he or she then is relating to God the Father. It's hard sometimes to believe. Does God really want to bless me? It's easy maybe to think of God as the one who is in authority, but hard to mesh that with God who is compassionate and whose nature is to bless. Friend, if that's you, just get before God and tell him that. That's all. You say, Lord, your word says one thing and I have trouble really feeling it, really believing it in my heart. Help me, God, because I want to know you as you really are. Not as, as maybe my father has inclined me to think you are. I want to know you as who you are. Just tell him that over and over again. And get in the word of God. And let God change you. Let God teach you who he really is. Amen? Because he wants you to know. And he'll show you himself for who he really is. He's the dispenser of blessing. And lastly. Jesus Christ is the Lord of all. See that in verse 2? Uh, back in First Timothy. 
To Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus, our Lord. He is the Lord of all. Lord means he's master. He's the one who has authority over me. He's the one who's worthy of my whole life. He's the Lord. You remember Philippians chapter 2 when it speaks of Christ? Paul said there, he said, Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be held on to, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And for this reason also, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. Of God the Father. Jesus Christ is Lord of all. And in Revelation it says, Worthy worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and because of your will they existed and were created. He is the Lord, and he is worthy of our all. He is worthy of everything that we are and have and can be and dream and work for. He's worthy of it all. Jesus Christ is the giver of commands. He's the foundation of hope. He's the dispenser of blessings. And he's the Lord of all. In 2010, let's get to know him. Amen? And individually and as a people together, let's respond to him as he is worthy. Our Father, we bow before you and worship you and thank you for this little picture of of who you are. Lord Jesus, we worship you as the one who commands our lives and as the one who is, is, um, is our hope and is the one who blesses us and as the one who is the Lord. We surrender our lives afresh to you, O Lord, and we ask that this year you would help us to know you more as you really are. Undo, O Father, in our hearts those things that that poison our view of you. Help us to see you, Father, as you actually are, and then respond to you as we ought. And know your blessing, and know you, and all for your glory. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.